And was that a GPS-based system? It was a GPS-based system. Since then, of course, our accuracy has improved. And what you call pull-in time, so how fast you can have that accuracy has also improved. Our receiver is now capable of two and a half centimeter accuracy. What? Nancy Post, welcome to the Atonicast. Hi, thanks. How are you doing this morning, Ed? I, you know, I'm. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful morning. We have you here because um, John Deere is a really fascinating example of a company that has really made automation. Uh, has found a, a niche for automation um, where highly automated systems can can really build sort of a profitable business. So before we get into that, I'm curious a little bit about about your background, just so people know where where you're personally coming from and, and sort of how you've been involved with this uh, this project for John Deere. Yeah, I have uh, 25 years with John Deere, and before that, I worked actually in satellite communications at Rockwell International. So, um, you know, over 30 years of of experience in the industry, very, very focused on engineering and um, and automation. Automation has always been a passion for me, and so it's really been a fun. Uh, you know, I was in electronics, doing the basics of getting our computers on a vehicle connected early in my career and working on displays and different things like that. But then when we launched into thinking more of a system of systems and how we could automate that for our customers, uh, that got me even more excited about the space. Okay. So so with John Deere, this started with with connecting the vehicles first. Is that and, and what was sort of like what was the impetus behind this? What was the value you're trying to create for customers initially that that sort of, you know, started this and then and then you know, maybe how that how that accelerated over time. Sure. If you think about a tractor, and I spent have spent a lot of my years of experience within John Deere in the tractor electronics group, um, we started connecting controllers. So if you think about emissions, even on an engine controller, I started in the engine group, you have to control quite a few things in order to meet emissions levels. And then if you think about an IVT transmission, for instance, you have to have a lot of sensors and a lot of feedback from the system in order to optimize that for comfort for the operator. So those are two examples, comfort and then also um, meeting emission standards would be some things that we were very heavy into in the beginning. We had to connect those controllers on the on the tractor. And so we put a CAN bus in. And earlier, there were other buses before CAN bus, but CAN bus was when it really became, we had more data. We were connecting the displays and several controllers together in order to optimize the system for the customer so that he didn't have to think so much, he or she didn't have to think so much about how to operate it, that we were helping already then for them to optimize the way they were operating the vehicle. So, I mean, that's not that's not that different than sort of how electronics started in automotive, right? Emissions was one of the main drivers um, of the sort of electronification of, of the motor, right? Absolutely. And, and even if you think about data collection and where we started, we needed to be collecting that data in order to to make sure that we were in compliance. And you know, back then you had to go to a vehicle and pull that data off, unlike today where where we are streaming data on a constant basis. But yes, emissions was a big driver for us as well. So then describe the step from from those earlier days to to sort of getting more towards this vision of of kind of a more fully automated um, system. Actually, maybe let's start with sort of like what are what are your systems capable of today in terms of just automation. Um, 
I don't know what the metric is, like how much can one person do sort of with with a, a John Deere type of system? Um, I'm not sure if that ha- that's how it works. Excuse me. You're going to have to excuse my ignorance about all of this. I'm, I'm really anxious to learn though. This is really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with a great example. You know, we've been, we automate jobs. The idea is on a continuum from automation to autonomy. So so when we look at things, we look at the big picture and we say, what can we automate today that will add value for the customer? And so there isn't a thing that we do that isn't customer focused. So a great example would be over 20 years ago, we automated steering. And initially, we just automated driving down a straight line. You could set your A and B points and you could drive that straight line. And our focus at that time was really to make things more efficient, eliminate overlap, and to um, reduce the cost overall. Because if you're reducing that overlap, overlap, then you will reduce your cost. And so we did that, and it worked very well. We were we we did a lot of studies. We proved that we could help the customer in that way. What we absolutely underestimated was the cus- comfort, the comfort that the customer would achieve. So if you think about a farmer and their schedules in the spring and in the fall, they are so busy and they're working it. I mean, I'm not stretching it to say that they could work 16 to 20 hours a day while they're busy because they're trying to beat the clock. They're trying to beat the rain. They're um, against many different variables. And so if you think about having that steering take over, it was we, like I said earlier, we completely underestimated the draw and the pull that we would get for, from customers once they had that steering. Imagine going out in the morning right after you have your coffee and it's easy to steer and the best, best driver can steer very, very straight. But by the end of the night, when it's dark and you're tired and you're hungry, it's a very different story. And so um, once a person had customer, had uh, auto track, they really couldn't live without it. And so as the years have gone by, we've continued to add to auto track. So we did curves and we've added all kinds of features like end row turns. Um, I was in the field not too long ago with a customer who stated that he filled up, he was planting in the spring. He filled up his planter and he didn't touch the steering wheel and didn't have to stop until he was out of seed and had to refill. Uh, what year did, I, I guess, this auto track technology first get deployed? It was right around 20 years ago. So right around the year 2000 um, that we first deployed auto track. And was that a GPS-based system? It was a GPS-based system. Since then, of course, our accuracy has improved. And what you call pull-in time, so how fast you can have that accuracy has also improved. Um our receiver is now capable of two and a half centimeter accuracy. What? So it's in tremendous. Now, you know, you have to think about the vehicle and the fact that you have a receiver on top of a, of a cab roof oftentimes. So it's not always two and a half centimeters to the ground, but that's the accuracy that our, our receivers are capable of. So very, very impressive. And due to our um, Torrance location and the expertise that those engineers have there. And in, it, in the first iteration, like, what was the input method for um, dis- determining the route? 
in the first iteration. Yeah, I mean, did you, did, did someone, was there like a, a UI where someone would lay out the route or did they have to drive it and it would mimic that? You actually would have to drive it and, and record your A point and your B point and mm-hmm. along a field. And then you would create um, parallel paths to that, to those, to that A and B line that you mapped. And how has that evolved? The, the UI part of it. The UI part of it has been, we try to make it easier and easier. And one of the things that we're working on now is creating a system where you drive the, in when you're planting, you drive a path. And then in subsequent paths, the, the vehicle follows that path exactly. And so if you think about going through a field and you have a wet spot, and you, and you don't plant it, then when you come back through and you're spraying or harvesting, you don't go through that wet path again because it was never planted. So it would be completely wasting the inputs in order to do that. So at this point, we have you know, hundreds of thousands of vehicles in the field in over 100 countries leveraging this technology. And it's because of the value that it offers the customer. And I didn't really mean to spend all of our time on AutoTrack. If you want a couple of other examples, we oh, can definitely go into those because there's um, some great examples. I hate to spend all of our time just on that one. So for you, I mean, it, we're starting from zero here. And a lot of our audience, as, as Ed pointed out, you know, um, are just unaware of practical, effective applications of any type of automation in, in, uh, in the sector. Um, they just have a very narrow view. But please go sure. on. Yeah. Well, so, so what is there beyond auto track? I mean, what are we, because again, we're, we're, you know, very ignorant about this stuff and, and anxious to learn what, what, what else um, are you guys doing? We have um, one of the great examples is a feature called combine advisor, which basically is on a combine. So running combine is very complex. It's a super complex. um, I shouldn't say complex for, for people that are used to it, it's not. But if you think about the complexity of the machine, there's a lot of complexity running through the field, harvesting the grain. And so we have a system that sets, optimizes, and automatically um, adjusts key combine functions as the conditions change. So you can go through the field and it is using two active vision cameras that are in the clean grain elevator and in the tailing elevator. And the operator is able to view their grain with from the camera while they're running in near real time, which is a great advantage. Because if you think back to the time when they, they either didn't know or they had to turn and try and see some grain running from a spout, I mean, it's a really uh, very different situation today with the cameras that we've put into the system. And what it's able to do is you run through the field and you optimize the level of quality and the level of foreign material that you that is acceptable in your grain. And then the system under changing conditions, think about changing field conditions, changing weather, um, the moisture in the crop changing, et cetera, it will maintain that quality and foreign material um, settings or, or output from the grain. So it's a tremendous advantage. We've had a very high take rate on that. Um, if you think about adjusting and optimizing that as you're going through the field, there's a tremendous actual value for the customer when they're able to go in and 
and turn in their crop for actual cash, you know, so because they're getting much better quality and more actual grain, less of the foreign material. And so that's, that's one of the things that has been amazing for our customers. Um, another example using combines and tractors is a system we call machine sync. It really creates a network between the combines and the tractor in the field. And it allows the combine to control the speed of the tractor that's pulling a grain tank. And so if you can imagine, when you used to drive a combine, you'd have to look at the person operating the tractor in order to keep that grain tank synced up with you. And you'd have to, um, you know, you kind of do the thumbs up to go a little faster, thumbs down to go a little slower, and you're trying to synchronize it and point the spout and everything else. And what the machine sync does is it synchronizes those two vehicles so that that's taken out of the operator's hand. So this is like like a platooning for trucks almost. I don't know what that is. To be really honest, yeah. I don't know <laughs> what that is. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that you don't you haven't heard that term. Um, so because everyone who talks about platooning, no one has figured out the business case, and here you are with the, with a successful business case. Yeah. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Thanks. So how much of this was was developed in-house versus uh, modules or things you had to outsource? The majority of this technology is developed in-house. So it's one of the things that we at John Deere feel is one of our biggest advantages. You know, um, we have internal internal engine development, internal GNSS satellite development. Um, I could go on for quite a while about our technology out in NAVCOM, what used to be NAVCOM and we bought, it's now... ISG Torrance. They're part of my organization as well. Every time I go there, I learn more. You know, I've been in this position since June. So there's things I don't know about what they're doing. But what I will tell you is we develop our own chips. We develop our own receivers. It is. And the reason we do that, and we have our whole um, navigation system pulling in the information and creating a correction system for the satellite. So that we can l- reach that level of accuracy that I was talking about a little while ago at two and a half centimeters. So we've developed all of that. Uh, we develop our own displays. We work with all the platforms here at ISG. There's over 800 people within Intelligent Solutions Group. We have data scientists um, that do our cloud and analytics. We have um, computer scientists. We have controls engineers. Um, there's just a lot of focus within John Deere on creating the best system possible. And where we need it, 
we have purchased. So in 2017, we purchased Blue River Technology. And the reason that we purchased Blue River was because we felt that they had an advantage in artificial intelligence. You know, they'd been working on some amazing things that were directly applicable to our business. And we wanted to leverage that. So we do that kind of thing very, very carefully within John Deere. But, but we are doing that when it makes sense for the business. Um, but we're pretty um, intent upon creating the best system of systems. So if you think about um, different systems, so the combine and the tractor and our navigation system, that's three different systems at least. And we could say it's many, many more than that, of course, um, in one. And we want to be able to optimize those systems for our John Deere customers. And we're very intent upon doing that. What types of sensors are mounted on the moving vehicles that are out in the field? Oh, there's, uh, well, as I was just talking about, there's several, there's lots of cameras. So as we get it much more into artificial intelligence, we're capturing images with cameras and we're creating learning algorithms. So for considering that, um, that system I was just talking to you on our S700 series combines called Combine Advisor, we're leveraging uh, camera sensors, we're leveraging moisture sensors, we're leveraging many different types of sensors. I'm not an expert in the area of engines, but of course there's a tremendous number of sensors in the engine system in order to meet our emission standards. Um, inside of, uh, I mean, I could go a lot of different directions with this. Uh, but we definitely, we have uh, many different types of sensors, and it's and we can sometimes we can leverage the sensors that are out in the market. But oftentimes, because of this conditions in our systems, we have to develop technology. So we actually have to consider how we want to leverage something in order to provide customer value. And our customer value is very much focused on the shrinking labor shortage, and the fact that we have to produce more and more food because we've been told by the United Nations that the population is probably going to grow to close to 9.8 or 10 billion people by 2050. And when you look at what our customers are going to have to do with a shrinking labor pool, we really have to make things easier and easier. So we have to sense the things um, that will provide, be able to make decisions for our customers and automate those jobs for our customers so that we can do that with less skill while someone is driving one of our pieces of equipment, whether that be a tractor or a combine. And, and you know, when you think about tractors, you're not just tractoring. You're, you're either pulling, you know, a, a baler or a seating equipment or spraying equipment. And, you know, there's just a lot of different jobs, a lot of passes where we're running over that field again and again, and we're collecting data at each pass, which we can also, we send it up to the cloud and we optimize how they run their next pass based on the data that we're collecting in the previous pass. I'm looking at uh, an online review of Combine Advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the John Deere S seven hundred, so the there the on there, I am. It seems to be that there the, there needs to be onboard human supervision. Is it a hundred percent of the time? Is that correct? At this point, we yes, we have we do not have a fully autonomous vehicle 
running anywhere in a field. That's that's for production purposes. So because given that you're in a closed environment, or yeah, do you use the term geofence? Sure. Yep. Okay. So we have a we have a, we have a geofence. There are presumably no other moving vehicles inside the fence, or if they are, they're all linked to your network. If you've if your Salesforce has done its job, <laughs> um, what would prevent you, uh, John Deere, from offering um, a a vehicle without onboard human supervision, such that some a single or a, a fewer number of supervisors could operate from a central control point? Uh, as you know, if you know anything about John Deere, we're a pretty conservative company, and we have a tremendous value, of course, on safety and quality. And so there, the, the, the thing that we're working through, and probably one of the most difficult things is our perception system. And you, we have to be able to perceive and know the difference between, we'll go back to, you know, a, a big uh, weed, weed ball going through a field, right? You don't want to stop for the weed ball. But if you have a dog running through the field, you have to stop for a dog. Um, if you have a person that comes up to talk to someone who's running a piece of equipment, obviously, you, you absolutely have to stop for a person. Um, it's not as controlled of an environment as you might think. You, we do have our edge of, edge of our maps. Um, we know our maps. And we're, we're on a continuum, as I said earlier, from automating jobs to autonomy. We are doing things very, very intentionally. So we know that, and we feel that there's value in the customer to have autonomous vehicles. That we think is coming. And so when we automate things like our steering that we talked about earlier, when we're on that continuum of automating steering, we're always thinking about what do we need to do to automate steering that adds value now and will lead us on our path to automation, to full autonomy. Do you, do you have a target for, for when you want to have a, a fully autonomous system capable? Or, or is that just you're just working directionally and when you get there, you get there? We have a target. Not a target that we're sharing publicly. We have a target and it's, it's, not, um, it's not long into the future. Let's put it that way. Cool. And so... Despite the fact that there, it, these vehicles are still have onboard human supervision, mm -hmm. is there currently a system by which a central control point can monitor multiple human supervised vehicles in the field now? Oh yes, I, I own the farm. I, I have a UI. I have a top level UI like traffic control. Yeah, absolutely. You can monitor your vehicles in the field if you talk about or if you think about what I was saying earlier about machine sync. Even in that system, you can see the combines and tractors that are running in your field and, and you're coordinating that data. Another example is you can go out and see where all of your vehicles are. If you're a farm manager, um, that data is in the system. If you've got it logged into the system, you can see where all of your vehicles are running. It helps you to optimize. You can also send prescriptions down to your different vehicles. Another, um, another system that maybe that is pretty highly automated that I feel is really valuable for our customers is a system called Xactimert. So it has to do with our planters. And in that case, we actually used data that's mapped for the soil. 
So actually soil maps that came from the government. And then we overlay that with maps that have that we've gone out and sampled the soil. And you use that data along with maybe maps or uh, data from previous planting and harvesting passes. And you leverage all of that information in order to optimize how you place the seed in the field when you're planting. You can skip entire sections if you want, like I was talking about earlier. You can um, plant the seed closer together based on if the soil is richer and you're able to do that or put less seed in the ground where you don't have as many nutrients. Um, you can skip big rocks. I mean, sometimes, you know, things come up as the, as the frost breaks in the spring and you have a new uh, disruption in your field. You can actually go in and map that and tag that in your operation center so that when you go over that field, you skip that place. So that data is reducing the inputs for our customers and actually maximizing their outputs. And when you're running, I'll give one more quick example about when you're seeding. When you're going around a curve, imagine how that seeding equipment, the speed changes from the inner piece of it all the way to the outer circumference. Like car racing. Right. So if you think about the fact that on that outer circle, you would have to speed up that seeding rate and you'd, or you'd slow it down. So you're going to have to change the speed that the seed, and there's a controller on every one of the seed modules, you're changing the speed to compensate for that difference around that, around that curve. And our seeding equipment does that. So it, again, optimizes that input and saves the customer money on the inputs and actually gives him a greater yield, which increases his overall profitability for his farm. And this is where that business case comes in. So if, um, if my John Deere S700 it catches fire, explodes, is stolen, anything happens, and I replace it, um, I'm, the, I'm the farm owner, I replace it with another John Deere, are all the settings and paths optimal for my farm? stored in the John Deere cloud such that I can just replace them and download them into my new S700? Yes, you can store all those settings in the cloud and then download them. And not only that, but if you optimize a combine and you have several combines in the same field, so you optimize it, you can send that same prescription to another combine. And the same is true with seeding equipment. If, you've, if you're using a different system and you want to use that same prescription, you can send that down to that system. So if I sell my farm, a new, if somebody wants to buy my farm, do the licenses or and the storage and, and all the various optimal settings for, my, for management of my farm, are they transferable to the new owner? You know, you're getting into a space that I don't have expertise, so I, I won't answer it's, that. It's, yeah. <laughs> Not because I wouldn't I, like to. I, That's a good question. Oh. I drive, um, you know, I drive a Tesla. Uh, are you, have you driven one? I ha I know. You know what? I haven't driven one. I've only ridden in one, and it's a failure on my part that I haven't driven one yet. But I, I have to do it. Yeah, I don't know. It might be a modest failure. <laughs> so what's interesting is, um, you know, in the automotive sector, you don't have a lot of very verticalized companies. And Ed, stop me at any time if I misspeak here. You know, Tesla likes to control as much of the design and manufacturing as they can. Mm -hmm. And then they like to control the user experience. 
And they had argued that it's that's for the sake of reliability and quality of of UX. And they're as a Tesla owner, and Ed has been a great critic of Tesla. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of their approach. I like the UI. I love the UX. There are people who object because um, Tesla is the sole provider of service and support. And so there are people who've bought salvaged Teslas who've had to do some you know, workaround to get it back to working like um, a new one would. And so, and I know there's been some controversy uh, around John Deere. Some folks have wanted to work and do their own service. Um, and so what is, what is your position uh, on, I guess, a closed system? I guess your position is the same as Tesla's. The reliability and UX has to be maintained. Well, reliability and safety has has to be maintained. And we've worked a lot on that. We provide tools for, of course, our dealers and tools for customers directly. Um, now, but we don't want a customer to be able to change something that would ever compromise safety first and foremost, safety Mm -hmm. and reliability of our, you know, we are telling you what John Deere is known for our quality. It's a big part of our differentiation in our brand. And so we don't want um, things to be modified that could compromise safety or reliability. That's it's as simple as that, but we're definitely very open to people being able to do some of their repair based using leveraging our tools or getting parts from the system, et cetera. So I, there's actually we and we have to unfortunately wrap up in in just a few minutes here. But Alex, actually, I've I have a friend who lived in Montana for a while, and and he knew someone who took one of these very very simple uh, automated driving systems from a, a, a combine actually and put it on his truck and was like having it drive him around town, and it was like oh, yeah. super 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 dangerous. So like you got to see both sides of the right to repair issue, but like in that yeah. you, you know. People, when you put some of these tools in people's hands, you like get these uh, country AVs that I think you as a, an AV developer understand that's not the ideal situation. <laughs> um, so before we go, I just, um, can you just give us a little bit of a roadmap? Um, you mentioned that, that full autonomy is in, in your guys' roadmap, um, that you have a date when you want to have that by, but just sort of what does the path towards that look like? What are What is the focus in the short and the medium and sort of the longer term as you guys go forward with this, uh, with this automation? Yeah. Um, as I was mentioning earlier, really, we will continue to automate jobs. We'll con- continue to leverage artificial intelligence to learn as we go. Um, we're working on quite a few things in that arena. Uh, we've had machine um, closed loop control for many years. Of course, you have to leverage that as you go forward with automation. We will, uh, we will. I'm sure when we first go into production, we'll do it in a very limited fashion um, and very close contact with our customers. We are absolutely in John Deere known for our, our link to the customers, understanding their business, and we will be providing something that adds value to the customer because we know we won't sell it if we don't provide value for our customer. And we um, want to make the jobs and farming easier for our customers. We want to be able to enable better business for our customers. And so we will be staying very uh, focused on those very things as we go continue to um, get ready to have an automated vehicle, fully autonomous vehicle. Great. Well, thank you so much, Nancy Post, for for your time. This has been fascinating. Um, I'm, I wish we had another hour or two to uh, to learn more about this, but, um, you know, and, and we certainly hope that our, our friends in the autonomous vehicle space take take the time to see uh, 
pay a little more attention to what you guys are doing because I think it is a really great example of of how you find a, a a way to actually build a business around automation, which I think is something that everyone uh, can be inspired by right now. So so thanks again for your time, and uh, this has been absolutely fascinating, and I can't wait to learn more. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, Take bye care. Bye. Have a good one.